All right. Good morning, afternoon, and evening to all of our listeners who have joined us for our first ever episode of The Artful Nutmeg. We're so excited to have everyone join us on this new podcast journey of deep diving into stories of the beautiful game that we all love. I am Tom Ferguson, and I am here with my co-host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, if you would like to introduce yourself... Hey, yeah, uh, I'm Daniel. We uh, are super excited to kind of get into this. This was we. This kind of started as a germ, um, maybe four months ago, like like around uh, December, and we had been doing um, a, another show together, and we just kind of decided to do like our own thing. So we we sort of like. At first, we're like, you know, let's, you know, try this out, you know. And so we had like a meeting and then life stuff got in the way. And then oh, yeah. we uh, sort of just picked this back up. And it feels like uh, a really good time to do it because time. Um, we're, we're, yeah, we're in this perfect like um, storm of soccer because you've got the European leagues kind of reaching the home stretch of their seasons. And then you have major league soccer picking up over here in the States as well as Liga MX. So it is um, really good. This is why it's my favorite sport because there's no downtime. There's no stop. I'm like, I never have an off season. (laughs) There's no stop. Yeah. So, I mean, that is what we have. We have the major European leagues going up right now. Arsenal is top of the league with about 12 matches to go. We will see uh, if they will pull it off and win their first title since, was it 2004, I believe, uh, which would be huge for Arsenal and for their coach, Mikel Arteta, who has completely revitalized the club. We have MLS that has returned this last week, which has been huge. I believe, Daniel, you have been... uh, You've been talking to some people about these about MLS and Apple TV as a whole. Yeah. And what I really like about it is that Major League Soccer is now getting the it's being treated like a premier sport now um, for, mm. you know, a, a good amount of the 20, 25 years that or you know, 25 to However, you know, gosh, was it 25, probably like 28 years now they're coming into. Um, It's always been a second class sport, you know, uh, where they had a deal with ESPN. But, you know, they would get, you know, on on sort of the, the cable networks, like, you know, kind of very low billing. And then, you know, if they got tossed up onto ESPN Plus, which, you know, towards towards the tail end, you know, you got every game uh, on ESPN Plus, but you got it was literally just the game. It's just here's here's the lineup, here's the sports, and there's nothing around it. So yeah. like, even if you're like a casual fan, it's like you can put on a game, but you know, are you gonna you know really invest into it if you're not getting a lot of that extra stuff? And so what is happening with this Apple deal? One, it. it, it uh, MLS is getting like, what, what, what is the deal? It's like two billion um, over ten years, something like that. Yeah, it's amazing. So they are, 
it, the thing about MLS is is really it's the type of league where if if the league succeeds, the teams succeed uh, mm-hmm. because there is a structure to how revenue is kind of shared among teams, and you know, uh, Major League Soccer just kind of does it in in sort of a way that that preserves itself, and so. With that, you know, they are guaranteed money, especially with Apple, like, that is guaranteed. Like, Apple will not be out of business anytime within the next hundred years. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, they. so along with it, not only is it the money, but it's also the presentation. Now they have a full studio, like, it's they're taking the NBC sports model of having a MLS TV crew and studio uh of of knowledgeable people talking about the teams and the players and not only that but you also have mls 360 which uh is is just a game changer because i can have dc united up on my tv but then i can have 360 on my laptop Oh, that's and cool. And that's just basically like, you know, NFL Red Zone or anything right. like that. I feel like that's that's become a lot more popular. It's it's super popular and like it was awesome because it's going from game to game showing you like, you know, crucial moments. You know, it's whenever there's like a set piece, you know, corner kick or like, you know, sort of like within that 18 to 30 yards type of thing, like they they go to that, they show the goals, they, you know, uh they just do it right. And then another wrinkle yeah. to it is the fact that they include hometown radio broadcasts uh, for the games. So there's an alternate audio feed. So for us, DC United fans, being able to tune in and or, you know, sort of have that alternate to listen to Dave Johnson during the home games is awesome. Yeah, I think that's been a that's been a massive that that has definitely been a massive bonus. Uh, I think we all remember end of last season with, you know, the with the Apple TV deal coming up in coming up for this season. We were all unsure what was going to be happening to our favorite uh, commentator, and you know the fact that they've been able to offer this, and not just for not just for DC United, which is our local, but for other MLS teams, they have that option to have their local broadcaster. And, you know, to be able to have the voice that they're so used to having, um, you know, one when we talk about the ESPN deals, the NBC deals, the Apple deals, we have to remember that, you know, for those that are in the city, what, what is games have always just been on our local our local channel. You know, it's always for just NBC. And those were always the commentators that we had, depending on which city that you lived in. So this this goodwill by Apple TV has definitely been a big win for you know MLS fans all around the country, and it takes a huge responsibility off the plates of the individual franchises who really had to depend on those local television and radio deals, um, and especially where DC United, you know, give them credit, they tried sort of branching out into something that you know they were forward thinking to a degree. But unfortunately, they ended up with a pretty bad streaming partner, which was that year that they had Flow Sports. And it, it was, you know, you talk Never about again. second and third rate. That was uh, bottom of the barrel type of stuff. That 
I remember when DC United had a viewing party for one of their games at Lou City Bar, yeah, uh, right in Columbia Heights, and went there with a couple of buddies, and they had a couple of people from Flow Sports, a couple of people from DC United, and flows the Flow Sports representatives could not keep the game stream up on the TVs for more than five minutes. It was the absolute like pinnacle of this was a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, it was a disaster. But going back to going back to, you know, how MLS has grown, uh, we've gone on a bit of a tangent of this, but quick question. Do you think, you know, outsiders are still viewing the MLS as uh, you know, what's sort of been its its theme in the last 10 years? Do you think people still see it as sort of a retirement league, a, uh, you know, someone to hang your boots and go play in the sun? What, uh, what do you, what is your view on that? Yeah, that's, you know, that's an interesting question, especially kind of framing about who is saying that. I, I, that is really just hardcore people who are like super in the know of things. And really it's kind of like, the guys who go to major league soccer games wearing Manchester United kits. Mm-hmm. It's so you have, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, yes, there is a perception. You mean like when we have Wayne Rooney. <laughs> exactly. There is that perception. And I mean, that's going to be a tough thing to shake. It, it is what it is. That's, that's not something that yeah. Yeah. will go away for some time. But I, I just think it has, uh, it has, yeah, it has improved a bit this year. Um, if you look at players such as Bernadeski, uh, Ricky Puig, who came through, uh, you know, people are looking at it as either a growing, a lead to grow, and, you know, for players who are a bit young or can't get into their first team, and for the likes of, you know, Barcelona, uh, are coming to are coming to hone their craft and to become better players. Or Bernadeski coming at, you know, I think he's just either just turned twenty nine or turning twenty nine. That's not an old player. I mean that's that's a prime year. So it's interesting to see that more people are getting excited about coming over to the MLS. Yeah, and what's also an interesting wrinkle is how I I, I think, you know, the, the hardcore fans are what they are and you know, each team will have their local supporter groups, but I think what the big push is for casual viewers or, or casual people, I think that is key to like the long term health of uh, the sport. And I think I think some people would cringe, you know, hearing me say that, but I think that's super important because this this league doesn't survive on supporter groups alone. Um, I mean, look at, at at Audi Field just for an example. You know, yes, the Chico stand gets filled up. You know, especially that first night after a win, that was really nice. Um, but you kind of look at kind of that western end of the stadium, and it's it's awfully spotty. And then if you kind of look at that southern end, yeah. uh, that's even more so. So, I I think you know the way they're approaching it, especially with Apple kind of. So this is another interesting thing, how they have contracted the production studio behind Formula One Drive to Survive. Uh, They're going to do an Apple TV kind of docu-series just like that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually very excited for that. I've liked that a lot of uh, places. I mean, you look at... um all or nothing. All or nothing is a big one. Yep. Uh, you know, those are other familiar, familiar sort mm-hmm. of 
uh, television shows on on you know different sport teams. Um, I think you know they've done sort of a even NASCAR apparently has has picked up a drive to survive sort deal for uh, for you know what for for seeing how successful drive to survive has been. And the thing is, what is going to bring people is essentially kind of what we're doing right here is uh, telling stories. You know, you can have all these games and whatnot, but if nobody really knows about anyone or has anyone that they can uh, really attach themselves to, uh, then that's just going to be really tough. And, uh, you know, it's a different thing, you know, with Formula One having 20 team or you know 10 teams 20 drivers like you know you you have some outstanding personalities in that alone whereas with mls you have 29 teams and over 800 players so that is you know a very different thing but i think you know you you have people that can find those personalities and i think before long i i imagine that's how you lose the retirement league uh, persona is is highlighting just really special players. Um, I, I, w- I would say like I would have loved to see you know if this had been something that had happened sooner, like a Carlos Vela. I, that's a guy who oh, yeah. is like tailor made um, for it because yes, he he does kind of um, fall into that retirement league, but in his case, it is com- almost kind of a resurgence for him where uh yeah he was very much a journeyman started uh with arsenal and you know kind of did not break himself into you know sort of uh that consistent role there and then you know kind of floated around a bit and now uh found a home in los angeles and absolutely lit the league on fire that would have been incredible uh to have that type of story about him yeah, huge. Another another example, of course, is uh, you know one the one the first of the European players to come on over to the states was of course David Beckham, who people thought mm-hmm. he came over far too early, but he did great things at LA Galaxy, and he was a he was a bit cheeky and you know making sure he got some loan deals to go out to uh, uh-huh. to go out to other clubs, you know AC Milan and yep. uh, PSG. And, you know, he was really big for growing MLS as well. But, you know, let's uh, let's let's get for t- into why we're here. Yeah. Why we're here is talking about Leicester City. Now, Leicester City, uh, most people, when they think of Leicester City, we know them from probably one of the most improbable, probably the most improbable cha- uh, Premier League champions that have ever we've ever had. Uh, they won it in 2016, but not a lot of people know about Leicester City before that season. And we are very excited to tell their story as our first episode for this podcast. Well, and, and let's let's kind of set the stage here. So, Tom, let's say you were born in completely different circumstances and you found yourself in a position of, you know, being on a premier league side that had uh just clawed and scraped his way uh from the championship into the premier league and you you're a guy who's been loaned out quite you know for to a few teams for a couple of years and you're you're just 
I don't know, you're hungry. You know, how how oh, do yeah. you uh, uh what what would you do in your situation going, you know, uh, from from your promotion or no, from your uh, season where you just missed uh, relegation um, into your next season? How would you approach that? Oh, man. I mean, I don't want hopefully my parents will listen, but I think I'd go party a bit. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'd definitely celebrate it. I mean. <laughs> People say that people saying that surviving relegation is almost like winning the Premier League itself. Um, there's a huge amount that comes with relegation. You know, basically your your wages get cut. Your team is sort of sent back down to the the shadow realm of uh, the lower divisions. You're and you're put into this this hellscape of you know trying to survive and get back up into the Premier League, which is the pinnacle so you know when you barely survive and and you know that next season you're gonna still be on the top flight i'm gonna go party that's that is um the opposite of what i thought you would say <laughs> i i figured i figured you would take the responsible route you know and i would say you know okay, have we not met <laughs> i guess we have we have not you know i i guess from my perspective you know, if if I were in that position, I would I would want to, you know, be like, OK, we're in the Premier League. But you're I'm, a true professional. I'm a, I, well, <laughs> here's the other thing. I'm saying this now as a 36 year old. Um, Fair. But you know what? I think 21, 22 year old Daniel uh, would probably be with you. Maybe but, blow some steam. That's that's the way I look at it. I would I would be like I need to blow some steam. Maybe maybe not to certain extents, uh, but definitely relax a little bit, a little bit in the summer. So the so that's where we get into the story of three players who decided to blow off steam in a particular way, and uh, what was supposed to be a a private night. Um, actually turned into a very public nightmare. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so the the Leicester City, the owner of Leicester City, I know I'm going to botch his name, but I'm going to give it a try. Uh, God rest his soul. Vichai Srivadhanaprabha. Very long name. But he was a Taiwanese owner of Leicester City and had brought out for an end-of-season tour of Thailand for all of Leicester City, all the staff, all the players. And things sort of took a took a turn on that trip. And it's not only that, the the fact that the owner uh was a uh, th- uh Thai uh national, uh you know, his son as well, but also the team's prominent and major sponsor, King Power is is mm. a uh huge um energy company in thailand so you know these factors all work together in sort of not only you know uh lesser cities rise but also their you know sort of tour of thailand yeah i mean it's i'm i'm someone who loves to travel um i would take it as you know a very awesome chance to be able to experience an entire new culture and you know entire part of the world that probably for some of these players especially the young players and never an area of the world that they had never even been to or fathomed and you know some players just uh 
got got too into it. And that's sort of where the problem is, is that, you know, uh, you, you talk about an appreciation of culture. You know, every culture has kind of like their their wonderful qualities. However, every culture also has uh, those those elements that, um, you know, in, in, in some minds are, you know, uh, you know, sort of less, uh, I, I suppose, you know, virtuous is sort of the word that comes to mind. That's here. a good word. Yeah, that's um, a good word for this. <laughs> and, you know, it's 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 an ugly sort of stereotype, but it is the stereotype of, you know, Thailand being kind of like a prominent place of sex workers. Um, so yes. Prostitution is a major part of that country's, you know, industry. And and so. What you have is a deeply conservative culture that also has this part to it that, you know, um, is I, I don't know what the laws are there, but it is something that is, I believe it's. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I what do you do? You know, uh, I kind of have a small idea, but I don't want to go out with any, you know, facts that I'm not 100% going to be like, I know it's this. So I'm going to say that it's, it's not as heavily looked upon, uh, prostitution and sex work as it is in the United States, obviously. Um, and especially in England where, you know, these players are from where these players play and, you know, for what was supposed to be a, an experience, a new culture, uh, for you know a team that had barely survived they fully went out and just absolutely disgraced themselves in you know a country that was foreign to them a country that had taken them in uh for them to visit and to explore and this was you know i think kind of like extremely i i don't i i'm trying i'm trying to think of kind of like the time when the me too movement like really came about but you know it was a very early time of mm. you know sexual harassment sexual hus- assault um and misconduct like really getting shown uh online you know with with people kind of exposing wrongdoings and um you know for what for what it's worth we're not you know sort of saying um prostitution or sex work is wrong um but what it centers on are three players james pearson tom hopper and adam smith who took you know sort of like this this debauchery uh a a step beyond um what's even what's even reasonable what's even um you know could be you know into kind of straight on you know evil territory uh you know whether it's you know i i don't think it would it was intentionally malicious, but it is, you know, in, in essence, kind of like growing up in a culture of jocks and chasing girls. Like that is, um, kind of what it is. That's, uh, you know, wrong in every sense, but, uh, it is, it's really tough. And when we talk about, you know, sort of 21 year old Dan, that is about the age that these players were 21 and 22 years old. I want to say that Tom Hopper was the youngest of them. And, uh, it's, it's one of those situations where it was foolishness on every turn. It was one, it was a completely 
awful and racist experience for the sex workers. There were uh, epithets uh, thrown thrown around. There was a lot of bigotry involved uh, because of the race of the sex workers. Um, but it was also kind of the uh, uh, braggadocio of it all, where these players recorded their their escapade and then they shared it with friends back in England. Which, which like, why? <laughs> like, and, why? And, yeah, and, you know, when you talk about sort of like those early days of Me Too and, and whatnot, it was this time where I think even... It, it was people like, you know, thinking that, you know, it, it wasn't even understanding the internet as an entity where like anything you put out there can be put anywhere. You know, even if you're just sharing directly with people uh, like your friends, one of those people is going to say, hey, this is really messed up. And then they're going to do something about it. So this video yeah. gets to one of their friends who then leaks it to the the english uh papers yeah and i mean you have to think about the we're talking about naivety um you know these 22 year and 21 year olds where there is there's still no excuse for you know the abuse that they were giving and the bigotry that they were showing um but you also have to think about their responsibility as athletes and professionals i mean one of the one of the men that were uh that were involved in this was the manager of nigel pearson or the son of manager nigel pearson and that's i mean come on i think i could never ever fathom doing anything where it's like my dad works here like for for starters (laughs) for starters anything like don't even get me started on that but it's it's crazy this is this is this is an interesting thing here. So I will say that, like, I grew up, you know, playing sports and I was never very good. But I also did not have a family that was heavily sports. Yeah. You know, um, I think for for the most part, my brothers and I played because, like, our parents were like, this is going to keep you out of the house. <laughs> and Fair. so we we didn't really have a dad kind of driving a hyper competitive um nature to us like it was very much like yeah go have fun you got to do something because i don't want you in the house all day in particular for me uh being like a video game playing wwe uh watching youth (laughs) um there was i had to be forced i was like please please leave (laughs) for a few hours so (laughs) <laughs> so you know uh i i i have never related to like sports dads yeah. or like you know or i've never experienced that the closest i've ever had to that was this incredibly bizarre experience where i was playing i played high school football and it was my junior year or maybe my senior year uh we got deep into the playoffs and uh, we were in that, you know, sort of penultimate game before uh, going to the state championship. Uh, we were playing this other team and we are having our weekly film session. And towards the end, um, a group of dads 
come into the room and they give us all this wild pep talk oh, where God. like they are screaming at us about how important this is bear in mind these are dads who were like alumnus of our school oh. so like i was like huh well, or, you know, so like I, you know, I'm sitting here like this is an absolute freak show. And I, I, I like and then I'm trying to think of because like these were dads of, you know, a couple of my teammates. And I'm sort of like, you know, years on, I'm sort of like, how did they feel about that? Or how did that strike yeah. them? It was completely bizarre. So you remember when me. your dad was screaming so at like, me in the locker room? <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, I, I guess in, in a way, like, that is sort of how you look yeah. at it as as something where it is so much pressure and so much competition that is, you know, forced on you, whether you like it or not. Um, you are sort of encapsulated in this world where you are kind of the best, you know, and I think that's sort of the thing, you know, with these dads is like, they were trying to instill us in us this confidence mm -hmm. that we can go out there, we can play our hearts out, and we're gonna, you know, go to the state championship and all that. So, you know, when your dad is like team manager, just as competitive, or, you know, maybe coach, even more so, even more so, and he's, you know, and, and it's very weird too, you know, kind of like coach's son, you know, I, I that's another <laughs> weird part is. A coach's son in a professional sense. Yeah, that's so weird. Ugh. So, yeah, and and just to give some insight here about Nigel Pearson, he he is uh, described as a marmite manager, yes. and I think that is probably the best combination of words I've ever read. He, yeah, he was a little. Uh, a little erratic as well. I would give that. <laughs> but yeah, more Mike manager is so, so on point. So just to give a little insight on him, Nigel has uh, on record called a reporter an ostrich for asking nice. a completely reasonable question. He has strangled an opposition player and he has exhibited just completely unhinged um, discretion <laughs> uh, in, in some of his interactions. So that is something else you have to consider when you're looking at James Pearson and his relationship with Nigel Pearson. Yes, yes. So the, the, the dad might be a little, little off the books than the son, a little bit more. Um, I'd to a little tidbit into what you were speaking about your, your own personal experience. I, my dad was my first coach, mm -hmm. uh, which, but he wasn't, he wasn't the, uh, the type of, um, super competitive. I think he was more like he, he did it because he was like, yeah, well, you know, I guess the last, the British guy to do it to be the coach. So, uh, they were like, yeah, like you, you probably know it. You, you people did this. So, uh, he was my first coach. He was always the one that would, uh, we would get to the field and he would tell me like, you know, I'm going to make you run twice more than everyone else because you know, I have to, Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was, there was no favoritism. He loved to, he loved to bench me. 
Um, he was just brutal in that sense. But then, you know, when he came, when I got into playing uh, travel travel soccer, you know, he was just the guy who was on his, who drove me two hours and then just read his newspaper in a chair. Um, where, and, you know, travel soccer can be intense in terms of how parents can be. I mean, I, especially out in Virginia and Pennsylvania, we used to play these teams that would, the parents would, you know, get those giant flags. Uh, they would have like personalized license plates, um, you know, like beeping down the highway, driving to the games. And I'm just like, this is U11. Like, please, like, this is not the, and this is not the world cup. Like we did not need to be doing this. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, it's crazy how, the competitiveness of some parents can rub off on their kids as well. Uh, and say for Nigel and James, like professional sense, that's just gotta be insane. And, you know, there is kind of, you know, in the aftermath of all of this, um, less in, in perhaps this is the reason why I think this story flies about a, you know, 5,000 feet under the radar uh, because of the fact that their very next season, they cleaned house. Uh, so they gave um, Nigel Pearson the boot, uh, not necessarily directly because of this incident, um, but they also uh, showed the door to James, Tom, and Adam right. and brought in Claudio Ranieri. And what, mm. so what, what to you was, was kind of like the, the light switch for that very next season? In terms of their, in terms of their improvement or what was the, the event that sort of changed it all? I guess, you know, what was, what was uh, the style of Rainieri that, that really turned the team around? Because here's the thing. Yeah. This is a team that in that 2014-2015 uh, season, they started off hot. And then they had from about April till, geez, um, December or something like that. Uh, it was, or not April, but it was it was a disastrous um, like four months where they lost every single game but tied two. And ended up at the bottom of the table. And then at the end, yeah. went on a seven-game run uh, to finish 14th on the table. And, and yes. so, yeah, in that sense, you know, getting rid of these players and then bringing in Ranieri, what was that thing that – because they, they had Jamie Vardy. They actually uh, resigned yeah, they did. Um, a few key players um, – you know, to four and five year deals going into that season. And, you know, yeah. going in, going into 2015, 2016, uh, I'm kind of, they, they, Christian F uh, Fuchs, I think is, is a name. Christian Fuchs, kind of yeah. The, the name that sticks out in terms of like the new place for Cincinnati, I think. Yeah. Oh God. Jeez. Cincinnati that, or, um, I, I Orlando? No, not Orlando. Uh, Charlotte. Yeah, he does play in that that blows my mind that that's that same Christian Fuchs. That is I remember watching them and being like, "Hold on, that's a Premier League winner." 
Like, hold on, how did that happen? That actually, like, blew me back into my chair. Like, I just about... They, luckily, you know, I have Shaq brand uh, office chair. <laughs> right oh, now. yeah. So it, it You're well-supported. me. Well-supported. Um, but, but, like... But uh, to go to go into... <laughs> sorry, I, I was going to go on a spiel about, uh, about Claudia and your question. Yeah. Um... So the after after Nigel, right? They they parted ways with Nigel and they brought in Claudia Ranieri, who uh was you know, everyone was connected with this job. And the thing with Claudio uh was he had already he had already been a coach in the Premier League. He was the coach at Chelsea for about four seasons, I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Um he did absolutely nothing really. Um yeah, he. I mean, I don't believe he won the league once. He took them to a semifinal once for champ, Champions League. Yeah, and he uh, he went to the FA Cup final, but otherwise it was just like eh, not really working out. But the way that Claudio was able to you know do this with that lesser team was they were a team that was totally happy. It's a bit Mourinho-ish. Uh, were totally happy to sit back. Totally happy to not have the ball. They were like, you know what? Sure, we're not going to score a ton of goals, but we're also going to make sure we don't get scored on. Uh, the amount of the amount of games that they had in the 2015-2016 season where it was either a set-piece goal, usually from someone like Wes Morgan, or it would be a Jamie Vardy running running behind the defense and uh, getting a nice nice FIFA like goal. You know, mm-hmm. got to do a lob pass over the defense, and that was working. And it was one of those weird things in strategy where it was like every team knew what they were doing, but every team was like, for some reason, we can't we can't break them down. Um, yeah. You know, and that team was uh, who they had. They had Robert Huth as well. Robert Huth actually scored like like five or six goals that season too, mm-hmm. as a center back. And they had players like uh, Uloa, who was their top scorer the season before. And they were able to just yeah, just sort of bit by bit, uh, be able to you know take charge and go after this title. The the joke that a friend of mine always says is that. Um, is that Spurs came third in a two horse race uh, that season? Spurs had Spurs had the league on lock. They were going to win the league, and f- somehow they ended up third behind Leicester and Arsenal at the end of the season, yeah. even though they were miles ahead at one point. Um, but you know, you got to give credit to Claudio. Though people looked at his time at Chelsea and were like, you know, he's not it. Maybe he's not good for. Premier League, you know, mm-hmm. but he just needed the right team and the right players. And let's be honest, Jamie Vardy had a season unlike any other. He broke the the Van Nistelrooy Van Nistelrooy um, record that was you know consecutive uh, goals scored, mm-hmm. consecutive games scoring a goal. Um, yeah, I mean that was just it all seemed to fall into place for them that season. It was huge. And, you know, going back to sort of the reason why Lester uh, gave uh, uh, Pearson the boot is he was so mercurial uh, when it came to Mm. how he interacted with the press. And this is sort of where he clashed a lot with the ownership is that 
he was very much all over the board. Whereas, you know, the ownership, you know, was very much not like they did not want a lot of their dirty laundry being aired. And that was something that Pearson just could not stay away from, you know, for, you know, you can say what you want about people who speak their minds or, you know, who are authentic to a degree, but when you are almost too authentic, uh, then, then that can, you know, especially in the world, world of soccer or football, you know, the second you start, uh, showing signs that you're not going to be getting along with the ownership, that pretty much spells, you know, your, your death sentence right there. Um, so that was something sure. I think they saw in Ranieri was a guy who was very much that steady ship. Um, and I think he handled things very, very well in house, uh, you know, sort of unfortunate. Um, there was a, another instance of a, you know, sort of bigotry towards Asians where um, it was Jamie Vardy got caught um, sort of screaming epithets at a Japanese man at a casino. Yeah. I won't repeat what he said, but, you know, uh, for what, you know, there's there's no sort of links to, like, how much uh, he was fined, but, you know, essentially, Ranieri, you know, levied a very heavy fine against him for that. And so he was this guy that, you know, he, he was kind of like no BS, you know, no strikes, no sort of, uh, trying to wipe things under the sweep things under the rug or anything like that. He very much like took things, you know, proactively. Uh, and and you know, kind of the wild thing is that you look, you know, looking back at these articles, uh, people were furious that uh, Leicester City got rid of Pearson. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, people loved him because of the kind of coach that he was. I mean. Everyone sort of likes a coach that has antics as well, to be fair. Yeah. Um, you know, Man United fans have somewhat of a soft spot for Mourinho and Louis Van Gaal for the things they they pulled. Uh, I'll never forget Louis Van, Dahl, Louis Van Gaal uh, falling in front of the ref to show that he player yes. was diving. <laughs> so good. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think the a personality of a manager, people gravitate to it, whether it's positive or negative yeah and that is you know uh in a way and and i always kind of when i talk about these sort of transformations i can't help but uh bring up arson Wenger and when he sort mm-hmm. of came into arsenal and he completely turned things around uh where you know um you kind of you had a club that uh you know smoked in the locker rooms and you know drank all the time and just kind of let loose uh, party every night, you know? (laughs) So he was a guy who came in, just transformed everything. He cleaned house uh, the way he needed to. And then, um, you know, kind of regimented everything, you know, to what players were eating, how they trained, you know, when they went to bed and like all that sort of stuff. Uh, He kind of came in and and really transformed the culture. And I think that's what uh, Ranieri did is that he came in. And you, you yeah. say it, you say it so right. You know, he kind of, you know, he he brought on a team that was very happy to sit back, park the bus, as they say, and allow teams uh, to come to them and then hit them on the counter. Uh, if 
for anyone who, you know, sort of didn't experience that season, if you go and look at the Wikipedia page uh, and look at their uh, results of that year, um, it is one nils, two ones, like across the board. There are only a couple standout games, one which was against Arsenal, which is, I think was a 5-2 uh, uh, loss That's for wild. Them. And, uh, you know, that's sort of the thing. It was it was very much like Arsenal and Leicester, like, kind of at the top for that season. And they had a run uh, where they just could not be figured out. And that ultimately put them uh, in that top position on the table and then got them their their first Premier League trophy uh, to a, a I would describe as spellbinding um, sort of celebration at the end there. I mean, I would, for, for starters, I think it's the biggest, I mean, I have to double check this, but I think at the time it was the biggest win out of like sports odds in history Yeah. Uh, ever. I mean, it was like unheard of. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful story how they won, but uh, a lot of people do not know about these antics beforehand. <laughs> And so kind of uh, wrapping up, you know, um, so Leicester goes on to win. And I think the fact that they did win the Premier League trophy that season um, was a huge reason why this this story became such a little known or in, in, uh, a little remembered story because of the fact that you know overshadowed yeah it it was completely overshadowed and again the team was completely transformed uh the very next season um just to kind of go through uh james tom and adam you know they were kind of fringe players uh for for most of the seasons that they were with lester you know between 2012 and 2015 um they were often loaned out uh to championship teams and uh in that sense you know they weren't these weren't star players they were not i wouldn't even say they were like uh sort of rotational or even sporadic first team players they really were kind of like joining back with the team from their loan spells for this tour and they very well could have uh been going into a season where they could have uh seen you know Maybe not, maybe not a lot of starting time, but at least that rotational time. And unfortunately, mm. you know, through their actions uh, and sort of like I, I want to say like their mindset, you know, of of kind of being invincible at the time, um, they were never able to recover. Uh, they all got dropped down to like they were uh, kind of so. The way with England is structured is you have kind of like these national regional leagues and then you have the EFL and then the Premier League. So there's something like six tiers to it. Am I correct in that? Uh, Yes. So. So, yeah. So you have the football pyramid, which is the Mm -hmm. Premier League, Championship League, League One, League Two, and then 
everything under. <laughs> and, and so in the in terms of uh, James and or not, yeah, James and Adam, like these guys fell down to those, you know, regional like fifth or fourth tier teams. Um, I want to say that uh, Smith and Hopper at least had some longevity in their seasons. But un- unfortunately, uh, James, he suffered a uh, major knee injury. I think he was when he was with Coventry, uh, if I'm correct there. Um, he missed the entire season, uh, was released, and then he kind of, yeah, floated in sort of like those regional leagues. And then um, the one who kind of like, at least worked his way back to uh, at least, um, I want to say, League One. Uh, it was Tom Hopper. And there's actually an interview uh, that he did back in 2020. And this is funny. It's kind of like a blast from the past where, like, they didn't have fans at the stadiums. But, um, you know, they sat down with him uh, talking about a uh, tie they had going in to a Carabao Cup match with uh, Liverpool. And so mm. he took some time to kind of reflect on, you know, that night that he had and how much, how that made him realize like the finality of life is that you can feel like you're on a certain track, uh, you know, especially if you're on the verge of like a, you know, premier league starting position and then find yourself just just at the absolute bottom just because you made a decision one night that changed the complete course of your career uh hurt um you know innocent people and then um completely you know uh you know shattered like your family and friends and but also you know through an entire team into you know some disarray where like I don't think people knew what was going to happen. I think a lot of people were convinced, you know, especially with how you talk about uh, Ranieri uh, before he came in, thinking like, oh, yeah, they're they're going nowhere. So, like, it had no improvement. Yeah. A profound effect on everything. And unfortunately, or I guess, you know, fortunately, you know, things went the complete opposite direction for Lester. Uh, but for these guys, like they learned, you know, one of the hardest lessons in life is that like you're not guaranteed and like, you know, you, your actions, you know, have severe consequences. The Internet is forever. The Internet is forever. So, you know, that is so, yeah, that is one of the biggest stories that I just never hear people talk about or, you know that really gets digested and you know it 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 puts a weird perspective because i i sort of like you know i want to say like you know i i always look at kids that are like handed these you know professional contracts and whatnot it's like man no one ever prepares them for those kind of things because yeah i you know 21 year old dan uh would have absolutely you know joined in not necessarily in in that type of activity, but like <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, whoa, 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 no, whoa, whoa. Uh, was, uh, in in sort of the culture of partying and because, partying, letting loose, you know, like just yeah. having a break. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they they took it far beyond what should have been relaxing, yeah. and it yeah, exactly. 
So, you know, that. so yes, we will uh, definitely have uh, show notes that will have, you know, kind of a lot of the major context because there's only so much we can yeah. talk about within an hour and um for sure it's it's fascinating and i you know we will definitely have links for all of that uh in the show notes but you know we're coming up on about uh 50 yeah 52 minutes here so uh tom i want to kind of close out this show uh give a shout out i've, I've given him a shout out before but uh i want to get on their radar again and especially i want to um kind of give this team uh, a little bit of exposure uh with this show but sioux falls city fc uh is entering their second year in the women's premier league uh or premier soccer league uh which is entering its 25th season uh started it in 1998 and uh, it's it's awesome living in a soccer town again. Uh, you know, they had a decent season as far as a, you know, first year franchise goes. Uh, they uh, are a woman owned team. And I would love to get a chance to uh, talk with the owners uh, at some point before their season starts up. Uh, they'll be starting uh, around June. And I'm just happy to be able to go to soccer games again oh yeah so daniel i had an idea for uh, a nice little friendly bet for us to have on uh on this podcast that has to do with two of our well not two of our mainly your favorite premier league team the arsenal uh-huh. i okay. was thinking that if arsenal wins the league i'll do a bonus episode all on Arteta's brilliance and resurgence of Arsenal. But if Arsenal doesn't win the league, Daniel, I would like you <laughs> to do a bonus episode on Ten Hogs resurgence of Manchester United. And it has to be good research, fully positive, just uh-huh. a true effort. <laughs> um, wow. So I will say... Uh, Manchester United is probably the team that I dump on the most when it comes. I, you know, I, I, Chelsea is Chelsea, but you know, um, they're you know all their all their fans are plastic anyways. But you know, Manchester United has genuine history. They're a genuine threat, uh, and and I try to rag on them about as much as I try to rag on Liverpool as well. Um, it's, it's all based on respect because when, when Wayne Rooney became a DC United player, I absolutely fell in love with him. And because of the fact that I have always loved him as a player, because I have always feared him as a player. And I really, really love this idea because one, I am very confident that (laughs) Arsenal will win the Premier Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but but two, you know, I I do have somewhat of a soft spot uh, for Ten Hag, and and I would be, I'd be very interested to take a deep dive into into his story as well. I will I will say I'd, I'd rather hear you do the Mattel. So would all my uh, friends. The story. 
Yeah. <laughs> so. I unfortunately, I unfortunately live with an Arsenal fan, and all my close friends are Arsenal fans, and they would like nothing. I think they would actually put that episode on every time they go to sleep just to hear me have to talk about how great Arteta is. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I I I have been wearing my wife down. Oh, uh, are you one of those that uh that listens before you go to sleep? Because I'm one too. <laughs> no. God with, damn it. With that, I have uh you know, probably once a month, every month since we got married, or at least I've been talking about kids. I've been trying to get her to agree to naming one of our kids, um, Mikkel. That's a great uh, name. Because it is a fantastic name. And I think I've finally like started getting to it because when we were uh, watching yesterday, uh, I said, you know, we're we're looking at, and she's like, God, he's a beautiful man. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, hey, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I'm like, hey, you know, if uh, Arsenal wins the league this year, which they're sort of favored to do, you know, could we name our kid Mikel? And she's like. I mean, a middle name. I'm like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll absolutely take that for breakfast, you're, lunch, and you're dinner. You're only ever going to call him by his middle name, and you know it. Uh, but here's the other thing: is like, I feel like that name. I don't. I. I. And maybe I don't. I don't want to be disrespectful towards Spanish culture, but I almost feel like that could be a uh, genderless name, like yeah. Sam or or Terry or something like that. Yeah. Like I, for for a boy or a girl, like Mikel. I I I kind of want it. I love also, it. So like our our second uh, choice is m- possibly Oliver, but little does she know, like it's because uh, of Olivier Giroud that I really <laughs> like that <laughs> name. <laughs> so well, I won't be naming my, any of my kids Wayne. I'll uh, I I don't think that's gonna happen on my side. <laughs> I yeah, hey I I like Wayne. Get me an MLS that's, championship and we'll talk. <laughs> then we'll talk exactly but i i love that idea and i'm completely down for that right but anyways yeah so this was the first episode of the artful artful nutmeg podcast i'm gonna get used to saying that at some point but i am yes also like you happy for friends and family uh to listen to this uh first episode if, if you like it, you know, please share it. Uh, please, like, you know, let let anyone know, like, you know, that this is a, you know, a soccer podcast that goes deeper into soccer that that talks about the human element. You don't necessarily have to have intimate knowledge about how the game works or anything like that. We're just sort of telling the stories that that can really get people into it. So, uh Tom, super happy that that you joined me on this journey, and uh, I, I hope we can do this for for many many more episodes. It is good to be back. Thank you guys so much for taking a listen. And with that, thank you for listening to the Our Full Nutmeg Podcast. We will check you later. <laughs> <laughs>